Hey folks, welcome to this edition of Tanjo Tech Talks. Today I've got with me uh, a full stack developer here at Tanjo, Daniel Starling, good friend of mine. Um, Daniel, how long have we known each other now? Um, just a little over a year. I was just uh, uh, looking through some old emails and uh, saw some of our first correspondence recently. Man, I can't believe it's been a year. Goes fast. It it goes incredibly fast, especially uh, uh, in COVID times. No doubt, no doubt. Um, so, Daniel, uh, how about for the listeners? Can you just give a brief bio? You know, maybe, and I can talk more about how you got here. I guess on the back end, but yeah. Uh, so I'm Daniel Starling. I am a full stack developer and uh, focus on React. Personally, I am from a tiny little town in Western North Carolina called Bryson City. A really cool place. Um, great vacation spot. Um, currently, I'm living in Arizona, Tucson, and um, actually moving uh, in two days back to North Carolina. So I'm really excited about that. Our westernmost uh, Tanjoian, I, I guess, would be the <laughs> best way to say it. That's really yeah, cool. I like to hold things down for the Pacific time people, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Time here. Yeah, turning <laughs> us into shift workers. I love it, man. It's cool. So Daniel, so you've made it from Bryson City to Arizona, and you're coming back again, isn't that right? Heading back east. I am. I, uh, yeah, you know, I wanted to give it a try out here in Arizona. Uh, you know, growing up in a small town, and then I moved to other small towns like Boone, North Carolina. I yeah. just wanted to like do something totally different. Um, and so I came out here, and this was about as different as you can get from one of the wettest places in the U.S. to the driest places in the U.S. <laughs> and um, I have discovered that. I don't love that. <laughs> Too much heat? Too much heat. I have very sensitive skin. You know, uh, I don't respond well to heat. Um, and also a lot of my hobbies and things I love to do revolve around water. You know, uh, so the desert cool. just isn't a, a, maybe a great choice for me. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so you're heading back to North Carolina, which is really cool. Um, it's my favorite state personally, I got to say. Um, and, but I, I want to go back a little bit and how did you get into the whole web development game? Um, cause you're, you're a really talented developer and you're up to date with all the current stacks and all the current technology. You know, how did you get here? I think it's a cool story. Yeah, it's, it's been a long road. Um, about three, between three and four years ago, I was, uh, you know, I, I was bartending and I was managing some restaurants and things like that. And I was supremely unhappy with that. Oh, man. Um, I, I enjoyed the human interaction, getting to talk to people and things like that on a daily basis. Um, that was one thing I really enjoyed, but I just did not feel like fulfilled personally um, with my work. Um, my brother had made the switch. He used to work at Wells Fargo, um, and he eventually kind of worked his way into the tech atmosphere there and became a project manager. And um, he really inspired me to want to, like, look for something new. You know, without any additional education, he made the jump to, like, development work, and he loved it. And, um, you know, he encouraged me to just check it out, see if it was something that, you know, I liked. I built a couple JavaScript calculators, and uh, I took a C-sharp C class uh, at a community college uh, close to me, and I hated it. <laughs> um, I, I think it was just the, the way that I was learning there. I did not like, you know, it was like – 
the, the whole week was a coin flip simulation. <laughs> and oh I, I like things that are much more practical. And if it's, you know, practical knowledge, I love it. If it's um, something I can't implement or use, it's very hard for me to stick with it. Um, so that, you know, that was what planted the seed of, hey, maybe development is something that is right for me. I always love tinkering with things, taking things apart was not as good at putting them back together. Um, but I loved figuring out how they worked. Um, and development is something that really um, satisfied that curiosity of mine. That's awesome. That's awesome. So somewhere along the way, uh, you found Lambda School. And that's actually where I met you, um, through Lambda School. Hey, how'd you find Lambda? Can you talk a little bit about what Lambda is for the audience? I think it's a really cool program. And I'd love yeah. you to talk about your experience. So Lambda School is a coding boot camp. Um, it's changed a little bit since I went, but it was about an eight-month um, course. Um, and it take, I, there's a full-time program and a part-time program. I did the full-time, and it, it dominates your life. Uh, um, <laughs> it takes a lot of time. Um, just with the course coursework, I was putting in, you know, seven to eight hours a day. And then on top of that, personally, I put in about four extra hours every day um, nice. for a long time. Um, and, uh, so it has an ISA, which is an income share agreement, um, which allowed me, even though I didn't have a bunch of money saved up, you know, coding boot camps are really expensive. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you were going to go to college for software engineering, that's incredibly expensive as well. So, uh, it provided the means for me to jump into that without, you know, saving for a long time or taking out massive loans to make it happen. Right. And um, just, just, uh, I, I want to let the audience know, cause I think this is a key point. I think this is a really smart thing they, they, they have done and still do, um, which it really aligns the incentives between students and the school. So traditionally at a coding boot camp at a college, you know, I paid to go to UNC Chapel Hill and then I get out and I'm like, I'm like on my own and I have to figure it out. Um, the, the ISA is you take, they take a percentage of your income after you complete the boot camp. Uh, if you get placed in uh, as in a development role, is that correct? Right. Yeah, it has to be you know a relevant role to what you studied. So you know, I studied full stack development, so it had to be a full stack development role, and I had to be making fifty thousand dollars a year or more. Nice. Which is uh, yeah, that, that's really cool. And I, I think the the most notable thing to me. So I reached out to Lambda. We needed some uh, development help, and I had saw I saw Austin on uh, the the Y Combinator podcast or something like that. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'll check this out. And uh, the funniest thing was is how aggressive the uh, Lambda, I guess, account executives and salespeople were pushing students and, like, following up. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, man, UNC Chapel Hill, this, you know, ancient public university, this, you know, flagship of North Carolina, uh, would not even make one phone call for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And these guys are just like dogging, which I thought was really cool. You know, it's a, it's a lesson on the power of incentives. And if you're interested in web development, I think it's probably the probably the way to go um, in, in that sense. I, I was just very impressed on that that side. Yeah, that that side was one thing that really drew me to Lambda. Um you know, if I were to try and self-study, you know, I could have, you know, absolutely taught myself everything I learned right. at Lambda, but the structure was really, really helpful, and the um, career help was really helpful, um, as well as the just excuse, you know, like, hey, I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to study web development for 12 hours a day. I hope the rest of my family can support me while I just sit at home and do that, right? <laughs> right. Um, you know, to kind of provide that structure um, and that avenue uh, was really, really helpful. 
and then with the with the career uh you know making a big life change like that is not easy and to yeah. even conceptualize yourself in a different role like that is incredibly difficult you know i've been bartending for about 10 years and just to see myself and doing something different was not easy um and and they kind of helped me get my foot in the door in multiple places, get interviews, talk to people, you know, helped me with my resume. Um, and they did a lot of work to make sure that I was successful. Um, and that allowed me to spend more time just focusing on code and learning um, right. and increasing my ability. That's super cool. And like, uh, I, I can attest to this, you know, super sharp, you know, you're up to date with it, with everything and, and you know what's going on, which is, it's really cool. Cause you know, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, we had interviewed a lot of people and, you know, you like talk to him. You're like, well, I don't think, I, I don't know how much you know, but you know, going through Lambda was some, it, it was a good signal that you had been exposed uh, to a rigor, rigorous curriculum and you've learned a lot and, you know, you, you built a lot of projects too, right? During the program, which is cool. Yeah. And, and not only uh, building projects, but I worked with, you know, uh, students that were studying things like data science as well. So it exposed me to, you know, other things beyond just full stack development. Um, you know, my big labs project, which we spent two months on, was um, a hybrid data science platform. And it really drove me to think about what do you want in a job, you know, beyond a good job? You know, what would make me happy? What am I interested in? Because I work way harder when I'm interested in something. And, you know, I stay focused and I am dedicated when I'm interested in it. Um, And I found that, you know, data science powering full stack web applications was really interesting to me. It opened up all these new avenues of like exploration. And uh, that was one thing that really solidified even when I was, you know, talking to the career counselors at, at Lambda School, I said, I want to work at, you know, a web company that is powered by data science and is kind of on the cutting edge of that. And that's a lot of the opportunities that, you know, they helped me find. Which is really cool. It's really cool. Um, so, so go, moving on from from Lambda, what are some of your preferred technologies? What do you really like to work with? Um, yeah, what are you comfortable with? Yeah, so uh, I love JavaScript. JavaScript is you know my main thing. Um, you know, ninety percent of the day I am writing JavaScript or reading about JavaScript or you know just playing with something um, that's JavaScript related. Um, that's a pretty big field these days. Uh, uh, you know, JavaScript is everywhere. Um, so specifically, you know, I do React on the front end and Node on the back end. Um, and those are, are my preferred avenues of writing JavaScript. Um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff in that space happening. Um, it moves really, really quickly. And, um, you know, JavaScript gets a lot of hate, but I love it. It, it is a really interesting language to me. Um, it has a lot of pitfalls and um, things like that, but uh, it is so ubiquitous. And that's one thing that really stood out to me was like, I could learn JavaScript and feel like I could do anything, you know, without having to learn like two or three different languages to do different things. That's really nice. That's cool. So can you talk a little bit about React and Node and, and you know, how those are valuable? Yeah. So React is... Um, uh, mainly for building single page applications. Um, you know, I think your really interactive web page or web app as uh, a lot of times they're called these days. Um, you know, Facebook created React. Um, it's just a library for, for writing those things. Um, so think Facebook, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, uh, you know, just really interactive uh, web pages that feel like native mobile apps as well, um, things like that. Um, and uh, this was, you know, a big change in the last couple of years because, you know, uh, 
before that, there's a lot of static web pages, and um, it's it's really changed the direction of web development um, with these uh, frameworks like React, Vue, Angular, um, or some other alternatives. But you know, in my opinion, React is one of the most pleasant to work with out of all of them. And uh, Node is uh, a pretty recent development and in uh, development or in uh, software terms, um, you know, things move quickly, but um, it's a way to write JavaScript on the back end on the server side of things. Um, so traditionally, you know, before, uh, a lot of people would learn something like PHP and write yeah. PHP on the server side to kind of control your logic and control your data and give um, the web interface what it needed to work. Um, the, the really great thing about Node is I learned one language and I was writing you know, interfaces, and then I was, you know, powering it with my own data. And it made the barrier of entry um, much more accessible for me. And it made it so that I could just jump in and feel like I could just bring all sorts of ideas to life uh, just by learning one language. And, um, you know, there's some caveats here, you know, there's definitely some new things introduced in Node, and, and there's some complexity in some places. But it, it really allowed me to just feel like I could uh, do anything with learning one language, and um, it, was, it was really powerful, I think, for beginners especially to, like, get in there and, like, build something quickly so you don't lose interest. Um, right, And right. just, uh, and, and, you know, React and Node is great for, for doing things like that. That's cool. That's cool. It, it, it seems to kind of supercharge what, so I, I, I have a personal podcast too, and last week we talked to David Friedman, uh, he's a legal scholar. He's Milton Friedman's son, as a matter of fact. He's a pretty interesting guy, um, and he's got got some really eclectic interests, which is which are interesting, like medievalism. But he, he talked a little bit about uh, computer programming and how he found it super rewarding. That you know, in a lot of projects, let's say if you're building something, um, you know, like a, a table or something like that, the tooling aspect can take a really long time, and like getting things to do what you want can be very difficult, but you know, you can just write something out in, um, in a computer program and it will, it will go ahead and do that. Like that's taken care of. Like what you tell it to do is the whole game. Not so much. I mean, there's like, obviously like Python versioning or something's really can be a pain um, and getting environments set up. But once that's done, it's just like, just actually it's, it's almost pure engineering is what he would call it, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and, and one thing that really struck out to me was, you know, if you think about creating things, um, you know, if you're a woodworker, you need, you know, a lot of materials, you need a lot of tools, you need right. a lot of different things um, to do that. And, you know, if I have a computer, and it doesn't even have to be a nice computer, you right. know, it can be like a five to seven year old, like, you know, ThinkPad or whatever, um, and it takes very few like raw resources and then you can be creative. You can bring your ideas to life. It doesn't take a lot of money. You know, it just takes some right. time. Um, and that's something that really stood out to me and really drew me to the software field as a whole. It's really cool. So what do you think the future of web technology looks like in the next 10 years? Yeah, it, it's such a diverse field and there's so many different directions it could head right now. You know, there's yeah. all sorts of things people are talking about. Um, so some things that I look to that are most impactful um, to kind of see the trending for the next 10 years is something like Starlink is bringing high speed internet access to people absolutely everywhere. 
Right. Um, I grew up in a really rural area when everyone else had 56 K connections in the nineties, I had a 28 K connection, yeah. you know, like I, I was less than half as uh, fast as them. And, um, that's something I think about, you know, when you build, when you build websites, you know, react is pretty intensive. Um, so you need a good connection, um, to be able to, uh, you know, navigate these apps, um, and, you know, have it be a good user experience. So as, uh, resources for, you know, internet speed and processing power becomes easier um, to have, especially in rural areas, you're going to see much more complex things on the web, um, such as web apps. Um, so, you know, it's going to be more complex, um, but it's going to be more fun. It's going to be more interactive. And um, <clears throat> another thing I look at is there's such segmentation right now between apps. You know, you have iOS yeah. apps, for, you know, Apple phones, you have um, Android apps, and then you have web pages. And, like, you have to write all three of those right now. So if you're a small startup and you're looking to, like, get a product out there, you've got to write an iOS app, you've got to write a web yeah. app, and you have to write an Android app. And that seems like a horrible way to do things. Right. Um, and, and right now there's a lot of platforms coming out that are looking to bridge all those kind of into one thing. Um, which I kind of see as, uh, you know, something to really look for in the future. Um, you know, there's a language called Dart that powers a platform called Flutter. And you write it, you know, in one spot, and you can deploy, you know, to the web, to Android, and to iOS. And there's other platforms like React Native doing similar things, Ionic, Exmarion. There's, um, you know, several different um you know, big frameworks doing this. And uh, I'm looking to things like that to grow. It might not be those necessarily, um, but it's going to be something like that where you only have to write the code once and it goes everywhere. That, that would be really cool. I, I you know, I, I really hope something like that happens uh, almost because I, I don't know if you felt this, but it seems like the promise of the internet was this great democratization um, in some sense, but in some weird way, it's led to just increased concentration. So, you know, like it, it, we're supposed to be, and, and maybe COVID's changed this a little bit, but you know, we've got all these great remote work tools, you know, everyone's going to have the internet and then everyone just moves to Silicon Valley to work in tech. Right. It's like very, very bizarre. Right. And then like, you know, the European union, um, you know, so the internets, let's say the internets, uh, each internet is somewhat fragmenting. So, you know, GDPR, increased regulation in the EU, you know, privacy protection, you can debate whether that's good or not, but it is kind of segmenting off. There's going to be a European internet. There's going to be a Chinese internet. There's going to be, a, you know, internet in the United States. And then like you mentioned, these different platforms, you know, Android, the Apple ecosystem, it, it seems like it, it, it would be better if it was a move towards more standardization. Um, and I hope that occurs, if that makes sense. But it seems like the trend has been yeah. against that, despite, technology's best efforts almost yeah you know i think there's certain platforms that you know want to kind of maintain you know like apple obviously likes to kind of own the whole system you know top to bottom software to hardware um so you know there, there's they have interest in kind of keeping something separate um but i think for the good of all people um maybe it's best that that doesn't happen right. and um you know, it's that, you know, that's like the biggest thing that I would like to see as a developer. I don't want to have to learn all these different things. You know, I have to learn enough right. already. Um, I'd like to kind of consolidate there um, as well. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's a, 
That that would definitely be the ideal scenario. We'll see how it plays out. Um, and yeah, it, it is interesting. I, you mentioned Starlink. I, I'm also really excited. Um, there's a great article that came out a couple of weeks ago with someone testing some of the, the Starlink uh, technology, and they were really promising on it. And like some corner of Maine, a few people visit. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm really into that. You know, even as uh, when I left North Carolina, I had awful internet. I was like, I got a hotspot through Verizon and, you know, I went way over like my data cap, yeah. you know, and my regular internet was going in and out. And I'm just like, it's like, you know, 2015 and I'm like struggling to, you know, stay connected to the internet daily. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I'm resetting my, my modem, you know, multiple times a day, you know, yeah. and that's a rural area. But, you know, when you're building things, you want to think about everyone and not just, you know, people in, you know, places, you know, dense city centers with great Internet. You yeah. know, you want to build them for everyone. And so you have to think about things like that. So as people become more connected, um, I think it's going to be great for the web. Definitely. It's super cool. Uh, so, you know, Daniel, what does your production function look like? How do you work and how are you most productive? Um, so. I love learning things and, and not just learning things for the sake of learning things, um, but learning things to apply them. Um, so, you know, most days I start off with like watching, a, you know, some YouTube videos or reading an article that will inspire me, you know, like a lot of it is functional programming, you know, which is a very math kind of based way of doing programming, but it's uh, really popular with JavaScript and it really helps you write clean code that's easy to read um, and to reuse things. So, by reading some things like that right off the bat, I've kind of got it in my head like, oh, man, these are some really cool ideas. I'm going to find ways to apply them today. And then when I get excited about something like that, you know, I like 10 hours will go by and I'll be yes. like, yeah, super productive, you know, but but not all tasks are like that. It's hard to get excited like that about everything. You know, if you're if you're building something new, um, you know, like if I ventured into the Ruby on Rails world, which I'm not as familiar with, you know, yeah. I'm like hitting my head up against the wall every couple minutes. Like, why is this happening? What is going on here? Um, and, and you can't stay in the zone like that. Um, so when it comes to things like that, I have to set up like major guardrails for myself. Um, you know, I, I like the Pomodoro method, which is kind of nice. like a uh, time-based thing, you know, where I spend like 25 minutes working and then take a five-minute break just to kind of reset so I don't get too frustrated all at once. Um, yeah. and, and that helps you collect your thoughts and like move forward um, without trying the same bad solution in a written a different way several times over or something like that. Right. Um, so setting these guardrails and um, using some like task management things like Pomodoro method uh, to do list or something like that to just set goals and say, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, this is what I'm going to do and just stay in the zone. Um, you know, it's all about, I guess, that flow state um, right. for me, like trying to find that flow state, trying to keep myself in it. And um, the main way I can do that is by, you know, trying to implement something that I'm excited about that I've just learned. Right. Um, so that's really my main uh, inspiration um, to stay productive. And, you know, when I'm excited about something like a new framework, you know, I will just lose, you know, an entire day. Right, right. That, that's awesome. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Dilbert guy. What's his name? Scott Adams. Wrote this book. Someone highly recommended it to me. It was like some 
I'll, I'll find the link and put it in the description for the show notes, but um, it's something about, you know, how to be successful or something like, okay, yeah, most of these books are not worth anything. It was surprisingly good. I must say like my friend was correct. Like this was worth reading. Uh, but he mentions this idea of doing things that give you energy. So like uh, you mentioned learning things, you mentioned getting in flow states. Uh, that's really interesting. Like, and, and he was like, if you can think about it as, okay, where can I find these areas? Like maybe it's eating healthy food or being productive or learning new things or implementing something I just learned and, and following that kind of um, things that, like you said, give you energy can be really productive and, and helpful and making you feel fulfilled and being productive at the same time. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I think not only having short term goals, you know, like I mentioned, you know, having a a, a goal for the next 20 minutes, but having a goal for the next 10, 20 years is really important too to kind of maintain that over long periods of time, you know, like, I want to be a better developer in 10 years than I am now. And so I'm constantly um, motivated by doing that. Um, And also where I come from, you know, I, you know, two years ago, I was bartending at a sports bar, and I did not like it at all. And um, I think keeping that in mind and, um, you know, just constantly continuing to push myself to want to grow um, kind of keeps my long-term motivation in check. Definitely. That's cool. And what does the next decade look like for you? Oh, who knows? Uh, Web (laughs) development moves so quick. Like I'm, you know, in the next year, who knows what web development is going to look like? It it moves at a lightning pace. you know, in 10 years, I hope to be somewhat where I am now <laughs> because That's I good. am really happy where I am, but I want to just be a lot better at it. Um, awesome. You know, working with some of the senior developers, um, you know, they do something and I'm like, I have no idea why you did it like that. Well, wouldn't it make a lot more sense to do it, you know, this way, which seems simpler to me. But then, you know, they'll write a function that handles, you know, 20 different scenarios and mine handles like one, you know, <laughs> and then cool. as I as I iterate and as I, you know, uh, plug more data into it, I realize what they did was incredibly smart. And, um, you know, I hope to get to that point and every day I just kind of push myself to, to get a little bit better so that, you know, in the next 10 years, um, I hope to still be doing web development, you know, I hope it's still around <laughs> and, uh, and I just hope to be a lot better at it. Awesome. So I, I wanted to move a little bit now and, and talk about, you know, what can you learn about management from being a bartender? What can you learn about people that, you know, let's say the lay person wouldn't expect that's not a bartender. Someone that's not a bartender. Yeah. So, you know, bartending, depending on where you work, um, you know, like a sports, I, I worked at a sports bar with like 400 seats. Um, oh, wow. And, and I've also worked at like resorts alongside the river that, you know, are very different paced. So, um, the, the one thing that I think I really took away from a lot of it is task management and prioritization. Um, right. I might have 10 different things in my head and there's no one tells you what order it has to be done. And you have to kind of think through it and like, what is most important? Who is angriest? Um, <laughs> you know, who is nicest? Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, is something cold, is something hot, you know, what order of operations do I proceed? Um, and that kind of encourages you to learn how to make really quick decisions. And if they're wrong, you iterate on that and you learn from it and you make a different decision next time. Yeah. Um, and that's something that really struck me in software is like, I'm looking at something. I'm like, well, how do I do this? And I just, I kind of just choose a way. And if it's wrong, I do it right. The next time I go back over it and, you know, I redo it. Um, but this kind of quick feedback loop helps you learn really, really quickly. 
Um, so I think that's one of the, the most important things I learned. Um, the other thing, you know, when I started working in restaurants, I was you know, 18 years old. I did not have great social skills. Um, I was like terrified of just walking up to a stranger and talking to them. And, uh, you know, after talking to millions of strangers over the years, you know, that's just like a non-issue. Um, so, you know, I, I can jump down in a conversation with almost anyone I can blend in, you know, and, uh, I can, um, make friends with them. You know, I can pick their brain. I can find commonalities. Um, you know, just putting yourself in lots of different social situations with lots of different people, um, I think is incredibly helpful. And in management, it helps you find common ground with people. It helps you, um, think from their perspective. And, um, I think it helps you just make better decisions overall if you can do that. That's cool. That's great. I really like that. So, so moving on from here, this is uh, also out of left field, but what's the most underrated Star Wars film? You know, I, this, is, this is tough, you know. So I just want to, you know, preface everything I say with saying Empire Strikes Back is the absolute <laughs> best Star Wars film, far enough. But I don't think it's underrated. I think a lot of people hold that opinion. They correctly read it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um. So Rogue One was one of my absolute favorites um, because it told like the dark side of things. It didn't paint the rebels in this like shining light that, you know, they're all good and, you know, everything they do is good for everyone. Like some of the other movies might have shown. It showed, you know, kind of the, you know, from a certain point of view, they could be construed as terrorists, you know, and not all civilians uh, escaped, you know, what they did to bring down the empire. And I think that was a really interesting story to tell. Um, I think it needed to be told. Um, but, you know, a lot of people think Rogue One is pretty good. So I'm not sure if it's totally underrated either, you know. Um, so what I'm going to have to say is it's not a film. It's a show. And it's Star Wars Rebels. It's an animated series. Um, wow. The first season starts out kind of slow, but it tells some really, really good stories. It has great character building and it fills in a lot of the uh, gaps that you miss out in a lot of the other things. So I'm going to have to say that star Wars rebels totally underrated. Awesome. That's cool. I'll include a link to that. I really like that. So the, uh, the next section we have is overrated and underrated. So I'm going to throw out a term, a noun, something. Um, and you're just gonna tell me why it's overrated, underrated and why. And if you don't know, it's cool too. So no JS. Overrated or underrated? You know, I if I had to choose, I would say slightly overrated. Nice. Um, but there's a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, it suffers from the jack-of-all-trades thing, gotcha. where, you know, it does a lot of things pretty well, but maybe it's not the best for any one application. Um, but, you know, it does some things great, like makes the barrier of entry for people, hey, if you're doing front-end work and you're um, used to building interfaces with JavaScript, well, just check this out, and you don't have to learn a ton of new stuff to get into it. So it's great for things like that. Um, And it's great for microservices and some other things. But when I started learning about some things like Ruby on Rails, I was like, oh, my gosh, the developer experience is amazing. Like, the ecosystem is so mature, and there's, like, a tool for everything, and things are standardized, and it's clean, and I was just like, Node.js at that point felt like kind of like a, you know, maybe a young teenager that thought it knew everything, uh, but maybe it has a lot to learn still. 
And right. um, I think a lot of that is part of the developer experience. And it's just, it's young still um, right. compared to a lot of other things. Um, so I think it's slightly overrated, but maybe in two to three years, it's going to be justified. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, it does seem to be uh, that people can often see the shiny new object and the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And, and that may may contribute to kind of what you're describing a little bit. Uh, the next one, Arizona, yeah. overrated, underrated. You know, I thought about this and I, I'm not sure how people rate Arizona as a whole. You know, I was like, you know, do people, you know, think really highly of Arizona? I'm not even sure. Um, personally, I didn't think a, a whole lot of Arizona um, before I moved out here. Um, when I thought Arizona, I thought just flat desert or yeah. Flagstaff. There's like that. That was the two Arizonas. Yep. Arizona <laughs> um, and, I, and I live in, yeah, I live in uh, Southern Arizona, so it's all desert. Um, and I would say Arizona is probably a little overrated. <laughs> it is gotcha. extremely hot for large parts of the year. Um, there's some cool hiking, there's some cool things to see, but you have to like plan so thoroughly so you don't die of dehydration or heat stroke or something like that. So, you know, it it feels like you're constantly at war with your environment, um, which, you know, I like environments that might be just a little bit more hospitable to human life, you know, and not require, you know, massive water projects just, and, you know, air conditioning just to make it so humans can even live there. Exactly. <laughs> Make it hospitable. That's great. So medium, overrated or underrated as a platform? So three years ago, I would say medium was totally underrated. But what I have learned in the past couple of years and some of the decisions that they have made recently over the past year or two, um, I would say it's a bit overrated. It's great that all of that knowledge um, and that platform, you know, allows people to publish their thoughts. And, you know, I still visit Medium and read some articles there, like, you know, multiple times a day. Yeah. Um, the problem there is you don't own your content, in a sense. Um, if you publish a blog, Medium, kind of, they can put it behind a paywall. They can do some different things to it. Um, and, you know, platforms like Hacker Noon, you know, they're, they have a ton of tech writing and it's, you know, very beneficial to lots of people. And then medium, you know, decided that they wanted to put lots of it behind a paywall and things like that. And, you know, Hackanoon then just migrated completely off of medium. Um, What I think is better is owning your own content. Like let's build up your own webpage. There's lots of ways to do it. You don't even have to be able to code. Um, And then you can cross post it to medium. So it's in both places, but you still redirect back to your own platform, your own website, um, which if you ever um, want to do something else or link to other places, you can. Um, so that's, you know, cross post to Medium if you'd like, but uh, maybe try to just start up your own thing as well um, so that you can get that SEO, you know, trending in your direction and, right. um, and things like that. Yeah, it does seem to, that uh, owning, owning your own channel is really important. Especially, I, I don't understand the paywall move they started to do. I haven't followed Medium that much in the last couple of years, but you know, I have noticed they're like, oh, buy your articles. I'm like, didn't other people write this content for free? I don't know. Pretty interesting. I don't know what they're trying to do. I'm trying to make it. Yeah, I definitely I think it's important to, to have your own platform. And that way, if you ever like come up with a business idea, you can publish that on your platform and you know you can kind of expand on it. And it just gives you so much more control. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and building an audience yourself seems to be important nowadays in, in the, the modern world we live in. Um, so chatbots, overrated, underrated? Chatbots are totally underrated. Really? And this might not be a popular call. Um, because, like, chatbots, like, flooded the market, like, you know, five years or so ago. Yeah. And, you know, it seemed pretty universally that they were awful. Right. <laughs> like a lot of people hate their interactions with chatbots. Um, Mostly, I think there's service. a lot of reasons. Yeah, well, I think you know a lot of the times that you encounter a chatbot, you're already angry. Right. You know, like I'm on Amazon, like I want to make a return, and you know yeah. the chatbots asking me all these awful questions and not understanding, me, and I just want a human. Yeah. Um, so I think that concern is very, very valid. Um, and I think you know when they kind of became really big, you know five or so years ago, they just weren't there yet. The technology might not have been ready. Um, and a lot of people's first impression of them was really, really bad. Um, right. And they shouldn't be used everywhere. You know, customer service is like, you know, coming from a hospitality background myself, you know, it yeah. sometimes requires a human touch. And I appreciate that when I call places and I get that human and I talk to them um, and things like that. Um, but when I look to the future, I think, you know, Star Trek Enterprise computer, you know, and how did they interact with it? You know, they, they asked it questions, they told it to write programs and it wrote programs, you know, right. they told it what they wanted and it did it. Um, and I think that that is the future of a lot of interfaces that we're going to use. And um, I think that chatbots are going to be very, very instrumental in getting us there. And there's a lot of new technology coming out that's going to make them super valuable and now with remote work, they're going to become even more valuable because you can integrate them into tools like Slack. Um, right. You know, so you could integrate your platform into someone's Slack channel for their company. And, you know, you're just kind of always hanging out there waiting for them to need something from you. Um, and I think that's important to drive people, you know, to whatever your content is, to whatever your platform is, um, to make it easily accessible and kind of create uh, better ways to access your things. So you have like GPT-3 now, um, which I know you've talked a little bit about, and uh, it's really interesting. And, you know, you can just have much more authentic conversations with it. And right. I think as things like that grow and they get better, um, chatbots are going to become more and more useful. Um, they're going to remove some of this uh, concept that people have in their mind that they're just awful to interact with. Right. Um, and you're going to see them in more places and I think, you know, in the next 10 years, uh, you're going to see a lot more of them. And you're probably not going to know you're talking with one of them in a lot of those cases. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, Daniel. Do you have anything else to add today? Um, no. I would just say, you know, in general, um, if you're thinking about doing something else with your life, if you're maybe not super happy with where you're at, um, go for it. You know, don't accept whatever you're doing as what you're going to do for the rest of your life. If you're not happy with it, find something that you might be happy with and, you know, maybe don't quit your job and, you know, tell your family they have to support you for eight months. But <laughs> look for avenues where you can be successful and, you know, look for ways to achieve uh, what's going to make you happy. Because I will say in the last two years, um, you know, I kind of like all of my dreams have come true, <laughs> you know, in some ways. That's really cool. And um, it's it's doable. You know, I, I was delivering pizzas for a while. I was bartending, you know, waiting tables and, um, parts of that experience fulfilled me, but, um, 
you want to do something, you know, with your life that uh, creates a lot of value into the world and that you're happy with personally. And, um, you know, so don't just stick around and, and, and think about what you're doing and be unhappy with it. Just look for avenues, spend some time looking, um, researching and, and finding something that you can be super happy with. So Daniel, I, I really love that. So I've written a lot about, um, solving and seemingly intractable problems kind of in society or like big collective action problems. Um, most recently, uh, Uyghur internment in Western China. And, um, there's this sense in which I think moderns and, and people in modernity just don't believe change is possible. Like we live in this society. Have you ever read, uh, do you know who Ross Douthat is by any chance? I do not. Okay. So Ross Douthat wrote this book. He's a columnist for the New York times. I actually met him right before COVID at a UNC, but he, uh, he wrote this book called the decadent society and decadent, not as in like, uh, he means it in the term like uh, decadence is decline. So we're, you know, real wages have remained stagnant um, since like the 1970s. Housing costs have gone up. Um, healthcare costs have gone up. Education costs have gone up. And the question is, is like, okay, so like progress has slowed down a lot, it seems, except for information technology, which is the space we're in. That seems to be continual pace. Um, but there's this sense in which people don't really believe that you can actually uh, make a change either in your life or in the world anymore. Things are kind of set in place almost. And it's like long, so decline, slow decline. Um, and I really appreciate that, that message that change is possible. You, you know, I, I mentioned this recently to someone um, believing that you can make something big happen is a necessary, but not sufficient criteria for making it happen. So the first thing you've got to believe is you got to believe it can happen. And if you believe it can happen, you've got some chance, but if you don't believe it can happen at all, you have no chance. Um, and, and I think that's really inspiring that you can't make a change. You can't make this, your dreams come true. And um, that is still possible today, um, which is really inspiring. So I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, in the moment um, when you're struggling to put food on the table, it's, it's sometimes <laughs> it's very difficult. difficult to think about the next 10 years or like being able to make a big life change. Um, and that's totally understandable. Yeah. Um, but if you ever are going to improve where you are or be happier, um, you're going to have to put a little bit of time in and find some time, find some space to put that thought in. And the first thing, like you said, it comes with believing, you know, I, um, you know, kind of started believing I can be a developer and, um, everything fell into place after that, you know, opportunities started to present themselves everywhere. You know, Lambda presented itself as an opportunity. Soon after I was presented with the opportunity for an internship um, at a nonprofit called Data for Democracy, which I built a chatbot for. <laughs> um, and uh, all of these things just kind of started falling into place. But what the first step was, was me like lifting my eyes up from the ground to the horizon to start seeing them. You know, and I think that's a really tough first step is just to start recognizing and identifying opportunities that actually are out there. That's super interesting. And, and maybe it's, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is it something like, okay, you've got to be able to have a clear perspective of where you are currently to know where you want to go. Is that fair? Is that fair to say? So like, it's like sitting there. I, I don't know if this is what the moment looked like, but well, you know, was there a moment where you're sitting there like, okay, what I'm doing right now, it's not what I want to be doing, 
but I think I, I've got this idea directionally of where I want to go. Um, so I, if you can see things clearly, you can kind of see how you can make something happen down the road. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what I think is really difficult, especially for a lot of people in the society is seeing where they want to go. Um, Got it. You know, all through school, a lot of people don't have like that dream job. They don't have that direction or if they do, maybe it doesn't seem possible. Right. Um, You know, I, I initially went to Appalachian state and I had no idea what I wanted to do other than, you know, it was kind of expected of me. And, you know, I studied psychology (laughs) and, uh, that was because like, I was like, why do humans think the way they do? And, um, I ended up not being able to like apply that knowledge very well, other than like to serving and to figuring out how to like deal with people. But, you know, it was very difficult for me to find what I wanted to do. And, you know, it just took a lot of time and like trying different things. You know, I was like tinkering with different things, looking at new ideas and seeing what I felt like fulfilled me. And, um, you know, I eventually stumbled upon something, but it's not easy to do. It takes a lot of kind of thought. Um, and it takes a lot of time and patience to kind of figure that out. Um, you know, figuring out what you want to do is absolutely, if someone solves that problem for a lot of people, it's going to be amazing, <laughs> but, um, it is this you know, crazy, there's opportunities crazy out there. Problem. It's just this crazy search <laughs> problem. All right. You know, like, that's awesome. Yeah. It, you know, well, you know, the important things aren't things that show up in Google. You know what I'm saying? What should I do with my life? It doesn't show up in Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, it's if you can internally figure out who you are and link that to different things. You know, I loved playing with Legos. I loved taking things apart, figuring out how they worked and I loved building things, but I didn't have the resources to do a lot of that. And um, all of those questions and those things I learned about myself kind of led me down a path that allowed me to find, you know, to finally find something. And it took, you know, family, um, recommending things to supporting me, um, to making it seem possible. And, um, you know, but it all started with that first step of like believing that change is possible and then starting to explore that and figure out how. Really like that. I really like that. You get this directional goal and then you just figure out the next 15 minutes, every 15 minutes at a time till you get there. Yeah. And I'm still figuring out the next 15 minutes <laughs> right. and, you know, the next, 10 years and in 15 minutes, what I figure out for the next, you know, uh, 15 minutes is going to be wrong. So you can't, you know, think too far ahead. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, have your overall goal and just constantly be taking steps towards it. And if you take a couple steps backward, it's fine. Um, just get back up and try to try to keep going. That That's right. You know, Eric and I talked about this, uh, on a pod on my personal podcast recently, uh, where we were talking about the journey of Tanjo and how uh, there were so many unique events where things just look so like like such a low pro- probability that we would make it to even the next week. I mean, I think we counted twelve times where we were like, "There's less than a twenty five percent chance we'd be around the next week." You know what I mean? Like it's just like crazy startup life. I mean, we're in such you know we're you know in a really good place now, profitable, things are good. But it does seem like uh, oftentimes. And I don't know if your journey was like this, but it seems like, man, it's like the dice are really stacked against you. You just kind of keep working at it, and eventually um, things pan out. I don't know. If you just yeah, keep absolutely. Playing. You know, my first journey into 
trying to figure out, you know, software. And if that was a good fit for me, I built like a JavaScript calculator. And that was like four years ago. And then I just dropped it for like several months. And, you know, I took a C sharp class at a community college and it was terrible. You know, (laughs) it was like tons of book learning and, um, you know, it was, it was C sharp and it wasn't, you know, even within the subset of development, it wasn't right for me. Right. And, um, and that, turned me off for like two more years to the point where, you know, I was like, well, that's not right for me. And I tried something else within that realm and I figured out, oh, it is right. I just have to kind of have it in the proper medium, in the proper context. Right. And um, it, it just, I think iteration is really, really powerful. You know, you do something, you do it wrong, and then you do it again and you do it a little less wrong. Right. And then it's you do it again right and thing. it's yeah. slightly less wrong, you know, but it's, it takes doing it wrong. 20 times before you can finally do something right. Um, right. And that's why it's important to keep going. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Daniel. I, I really appreciate you coming on today. I think this will be valuable for a lot of folks. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. It's been a, a fun talk. Awesome. All right. Catch you later. Right, bye.